Hello there, how are you? I hope you've got yourself organised for a very interesting podcast uh, this evening. Well, we're calling it this evening because that's when we're doing it. My name's Adam Jacobs. And I'm John Hewitt. And uh, Merry Christmas. No, actually, we've done Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs> we have. Happy Astral New Year. Happy is... Spatial Galactic New Year. <laughs> is that You're giving hints already. Yeah. Oh, I, could, I can't straight, help myself. I cannot contain myself, Stimpy. <laughs> you're straight into it. <laughs> oh, folks. This is... Look, hey, we, last episode we gave a promise. We said we'd do a Western, which we've addressed that with this particular scene that well, we've chosen. Yes. And we said that we would do something modern. Which it connects to a little bit country, a little bit western, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit sci-fi. It's In fact, bit, I think this is a little everything. Bit of both. It is. I mean, this is this is a schizophrenic of a film, really, but it actually gets it, it all together. This scene, especially. it poaches all of Hollywood's tropes. I think the word trope may come in tonight, <laughs> and stealing might come in as well. We're being a, we're being a little bit unfair. I would. This is definitely tropey. There's going to be tropes for sure. Mm. But it's also like a weird kind of homage. Oh, of course. I think that, there's all these things that w- have worked in films uh, are uh, all there on display and it works magnificently. So it's really Hollywood's – well, it's actually not Hollywood's post-Hollywood, isn't it? But it's it's a homage, as you say, to uh, all of the, the the reasons why we went to Hollywood movies. Absolutely. So, well, let's give some little – some more direct clues, I guess. We – have uh, we have a very distinctive bad guy, which doesn't feature features indirectly in this particular scene, but it's the pinnacle of all bad guys in this movie. We also have probably the pinnacle of, of good guys as well, and we have we have the mystic. We have the mystic. We do. We have the swashbuckler that will come. We have the magic that isn't really magic; it's more spiritual than that. It is. Uh, is it a religion? Oh, I tell you what. I mean, like, this whole business of uh, you know Japanese movies with uh, you know all of that sort of mysticism built in is is, is evident here. This film goes all over the place. It does. It is the franchise of franchises. Well, that's a good that's a good clue actually. It's really hard to give clues because it's just going to be given away. Well, you so couldn't easily. say it was Godfather because um, Godfather doesn't have a lot of Japanese in it, but <laughs> or not enough. But this, Maybe not enough. Actually, this film doesn't have a lot of, of, of Japanese in it, but it does have a lot of Japanese influence, and in that there are forces oh, at work, and you must use ever. them. Well, this might be a for more for the boffins, but this might be a bit of a clue. Because when they did the screen testing for a lot of the early, sort of the early version of this film, because I don't think it was officially screen tested very early on, but the director felt the need to get some feedback on what he was doing. What he would do, instead of having the fight scenes, and we're talking about aeroplanes... <laughs> We're talking about yes. things in in the air, Battle of Britain kind of. Uh, yeah, he takeoffs, would he yeah. would he would cut in re, uh, real footage of mm. uh, I suppose the Spitfires fighting each other, yeah. taken from uh, wartime f- footage, yeah. wartime um, yeah, film. Yeah. It's pastiche, which of course this film mm. is. So he did sort of have to explain to his test audience, right? At this point, there's going to be like yeah. a dogfight between two aircraft, yeah. and it's going to look like this, and then he just cut. Blatantly, yeah, back to, to black scene. and white, yeah. uh, you know, f- found footage type stuff from mm. Second World War, yeah. and then he cut back into the yeah. actual film we're talking about. So the boffins out there who know 
who feel that any of that's familiar would know what the film is. Well, can I can I say that one of the actors there, uh, who ended up being you know the chief actor through all of them all, was a set designer there, and um, and they said, yeah. oh, do you, have you got anything to do? Do you want to read for it? He said, I'll read for it, and then he said. I'm not reading again. You talk to my manager. I made him a bit of dough. Uh, that will come later too. That, that's, a, that's a good clue. That's, a a little bit of, that's for another one for the boffins as well. It is a bit obscure. But if you're thinking Harrison Ford, then you'd, you'd, you'd be right. You'd be and close on the money, I'd the, say. And given that it's so easy to give this away, we might as well just say it now, I think. It's a Star Wars. We are talking about Star Wars. The and not, first one. Yes, the first one, not episode the eponymous. Twelve or whatever up to. What are we up to now? There's oh, spin-offs and all I, sorts of I things. I don't know. I think it was um, the uh, Star Wars Goes to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> With Elvis. <laughs> that's that's the scene we're talking about. And those of you who are oh, actually, still playing are, the guessing game. It's that because the one we look like, it sounds like a, looks like an, a kind of Las Vegas lounge. Now, um, I don't know uh, if you've been to Las Vegas, but maybe you recognise some of the customers. I have. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you're thinking to yourself, are we talking about the cantina scene? Is that what they call it? I think that's what they call it. They've from, got to get to Alderaan. From, and, um, from, from Star Wars. And Alec Guinness. Oh, yes. Gosh, uh, wow. The genius of Alec Guinness. He, they're, he, they're, they're wanting to get a ride. He could the, be a bar fly for sure. He, he, is, he is such a cool actor. The old can man, just, can old man at the this, end of the bar for sure. This film wouldn't have survived without his, not gravitas, but this is absolute professionalism. He just creates mm. space around him when he when he talks. Um, and you were saying that he actually wrote scenes in it. That, that oh, he made, he made some major changes to the script. Evidently, that's what the, that's the story has yeah. the story Orson goes. Wells did that for, for people who were listening last week. Uh, Orson Wells used to always say, well, if you have me there, I would come up and, and rearrange the scene for you. And that's what you've got to live for, uh, with. So obviously these people have been around for years, and other Guinness being the consummate actor that he was, had to, couldn't help, but say, I'll clean up your act for you. Yeah. Did he get some points for this? Some no, well, percentage? he did. Well, he's supposed to get 2% and ended up with one and a half. I'd settle for that. <laughs> well, probably the biggest film ever yeah. in the history of, well, commercial commercial film. Well, yeah. And who knows how franchises work? I mean, the, uh, this is the thing. But it's gone through so many permutations. But, you know, I, my, my son, who is uh, two, <laughs> <laughs> went to see the new one. He thought that wasn't half bad either. So at least they've kept their... The standards up, you know. So this yeah. new mythology that has been crept in instead of you know old-fashioned religion, has um, has really sort of taken the world by storm since it was first released in the late early eighties. Yeah, I think we. Oh well, once again, we haven't looked too closely at the facts. The fine details. We don't do facts. We're not interested Customers. in this. We are talking to you. Purely from fan, from a fan perspective, in terms of the the film yes. elements, well, the things also, that we love about the storytelling, well, ignorance is the best motivation and and the best power. You know, you That's don't it, know what's exactly. happening next. We know that we enjoy the cantina scene. If not only we 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 just want to know what one of those what some of those drinks were. I, I, I want to <laughs> I want to know what the bathroom looked like. I mean, the plumbing would have been astonishing. <laughs> I like the one. I like to see where the the little alien. And they must have got a child or someone to do it. Mm. He's got the – he's very m- made up, as most of them are. I think all of them were. Uh, very much so. <laughs> but he walks up to the bar and it's up to his oh, forehead. And he takes it with both hands. And he takes it with – but like a child. I did notice that, yes. And whenever I – I don't and know I thought, why. That's underage. 
Mind you, at a cantina like that doesn't matter, does it? I don't think it does. When I, underage could mean you're 200 years old. It's all relative, isn't it? Yes, it could have been a millennia old. Who knows? That's exactly right. That's the beauty of it all. I mean, this is the silliest uh, scene in the whole film. That's why I think we're doing it. <laughs> because it, it certainly doesn't take itself seriously as a film. It's a sort of rip-roaring kind of Errol Flynn kind of, uh, you know, mishmash pastiche. But this is actually mm. the old bar scene where, you know, the, the fellow would come in and kick in the doors and the piano would, would be going ling, ding, 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 and stop, <laughs> you know. And the chandelier would hit the hit the floor, or something like that would happen. There were certain tropes that, that go with this, and this this I think this film, you know, this particular scene uses a few of them. I love the way the music stops. The first time it stops, mm. the dude gets his arm chopped off. Yeah, with the lightsaber, it starts again. Ring, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. literally, literally. I cut the seconds five seconds but later. I love the the way that these bulbous aliens, who all look the same, which is great because they're all part of the same family. Uh, are all playing th- like clarinets or whatever. So it's a bit like a speakeasy as well. So you've got, you know, they, they don't mind. Yeah. It's all mishmashed together and this is the beauty of it. And it's quite, uh, you know, it's interesting Western mu- uh, English music. So I'm glad that in space, you know, uh, yeah. 40 million years ago, yeah. um, they were playing that stuff. They still know what the pentatonic scale was. Absolutely. They, could, they, could they do know a, how to play um, a, jazz. You know, a modern clarinet, not an easy instrument, well, anyway, well, as anyone will tell you. There's the oboe. I, yeah. think, I think oboe features, yeah. and it's not easy to, jazz and oboe don't always go together yeah, yeah. particularly well. Yeah. But it was actually, it was kind of an old-fashioned swing band, you know. Oh, it was. Yeah, and everyone's uh, drinking No offence to oboe players, I have no idea about oboes and jazz, so please don't. Don't don't send in your your complaints. No, I'll do the oboe work. Right? <laughs> just leave the clarinets and oboe to me. You just stick on your mic there. So I get to do one readed instruments, and Only you get to do two per, two readed instruments. Yeah. I get one oboe per episode from now on. <laughs> now the uh, the beauty of this is that uh, you, you're there and you're in this. This it's gone surreal here, and you think this isn't going to work. This scene is not going to work, but it is actually pivotal because what it does is it allows. Our heroes to get the Millennium Fork. Now, what a name for a. Mm. You know, and he says, I'm the captain of the Millennium Fork. And I thought, wow, that's cool too. Why yeah. are you the captain? So I just arrogant. thought you just drove it. You know, <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> you know he's a no, grubby smuggler. You know, and, that's basically what he's doing. And, and how many in the crew? <laughs> one. Well, I'm, two, a, I'm, really. a, I'm a captain of yeah, one. There's a hairy one and there's a less hairy one. <laughs> I love the way everyone talks to each other in the cantina. Is that they all come from different parts of the galaxy, and magically they all sort of talk to. That's and, right. Um, and you think, oh yeah, did so, you hear the one about the? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's that willing suspension of belief. I mean, you've actually gone into space and uh, had Darth, Darth Lager or whoever he is, you know, uh, <laughs> wandering around breathing heavily on people, and uh, so you think, well, by this stage we're all softened up. Well, I like the way that uh, the. The um, Harrison Ford character, crikey, what's his name? Han Solo. Han Solo. Yeah. He comes across as so, I suppose, rough around the edges. That's mm. that's the idea. Yeah. He's more swashbuckling than that. Well, yeah. But then suddenly he can speak all these alien languages. Yeah. He can talk, talk to all of them. Anyone, yeah. anyone he's who no, wants to Han kill Solo, him, you'd think would be a right wanker. <laughs> but, he's, but he's but he's not really. He's just a really clever. <laughs> Clever man uh, who can talk, you know, and do the the thing in uh, twelve parsnips or something. He said, "I did the run That's in right. twelve parsnips," and then you know, uh, anyway, it's impressive. He's got a fast ship, and he's not afraid to use it. I hope you got the hand solo reference. <laughs> so you finally have. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Move it. Move it along. All right. Okay. Anyway, so the, so um, the, uh, the thing, and he's got a walking next to him, uh, which is uh, kind of a hairy thing. So we're used to this. But the, if, the he does. He that, does have a very personal relationship, and that's the thing with Han Solo. All the way throughout all the films, he has a very personal and familiar deep, relationship deep with anyone abiding. who mm. wants to kill him. <laughs> anyone who wants to. <laughs> Put a laser bolt through his head. Mm. He knows somehow intimately, like well, more than just an acquaintance. Yes. There has a mateship yeah. with Can these people. Can I say people. that he, he's a perfect man? You know, obviously to knock up a, a set of um, shelves for you, <laughs> but he's also a very good man to because he's so flat in the face. He looks like he's had a stroke, and uh, and because of that, he doesn't. Uh, you can you can watch him and say, well, he's not Errol Flynn and all that sort of stuff, but he's one of those sort of hard bitten gumshoes, and I'm sort of like the detective. You know, the one the fellow who's going to, you know, do the freighter ship and get you your thing. And he does... Blade Runner. He just take the piss out of himself. I mean, it's not... Yeah. It's, everything's just held in just so. And this is what it comes back to um, Alec Guinness, is that Alec Guinness is there like the consummate actor, like, you know, the use the force, Luke, all those all those beautiful, these are yeah. not your droids. Uh, he can he can do all these extraordinary things and get away with them. They all get away with it. I'm well, always the, impressed with this film. Indeed. The hand Solo character is, is developed so nicely... In the in that direction, because he never he always from the, right from the very beginning looks like the guy who's just not going to die. S- somehow he'll dodge all the bullets and he'll miss all the and not because he's more the Errol Flynn type, more because he's just uh, he just has a, 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 a an invincibility about him. Yeah. It's kind of like it reminds me a little bit, but in a different sort of way of the character in. Apocalypse Now. Uh, I love the smell of gasoline in the morning. Yeah. You smell that? <laughs> he lo- they talk about him. They say, I think the actual commentary within mm. the film, the script mentions that he's just, you just know that he's someone he's who's not going to die. He's one of those die. generals who actually walks through a hail of bullets. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they were like General Patton would do that. You know, they would walk through, and this is what makes them. Uh, it, that's what gives war its mystique, and I think that that's why it's a strange quality. And again, that's another you know? trope, you know. Like you'd you'd have all these bullets are going in all sorts of directions when they're having uh, when they've got a blaster. I like the way they call them blasters. You know? <laughs> they don't call them guns or jet things or atom atom rods or whatever. They call them blasters. <laughs> And it comes back to that's a homage to Robbie the robot Adam because Rods. Robbie the robot in the Forbidden Planet he takes the gun away and he says, hey, "Yes, sir, it is a simple blaster," <laughs> and that's from the 1950s. So they, you know, you can tell that they're having huge fun with this. Although you know, it comes across as a really slick. You know, it's held together by the sound, the Lucas sound and all that sort of stuff. When you went into the cinema, everyone's used to it now, but at that stage they just had that Lucas sound sort of and they'd built it in and everyone mm. had you know, obviously bought the speakers and all the paraphernalia. But that and, of course, the score, because you can't have Beautiful. that film without a rip-roaring score, uh, which is one of the great... And, it's, and, and I love that the, um, you know, the ABC classic people had a, a thing of the great film scores. That comes out number one. Yeah. Because it's so rip-roaring it, and it comes from all of the things like... And the, it's written to be Symphonic. Yeah, the Arnold it's Newman scores and the score, Errol Flynn scores, all those sorts of things. Um, that's what holds the whole film together. Mm. Uh, and it's almost – and the film actually, when you think of the score, I know I'm going to bore you for about 30 seconds here. It's almost <laughs> Wagnerian because everyone in this film has their own theme. You know, there's Lear's theme and there's, you know, Darth Lager's theme and all that sort of stuff. And they're all beautifully woven together. And it, it really it's a work of genius and that's yeah. what keeps the film together because otherwise film tends to fall apart if it doesn't have the glue. And that's glue. And if you listen, the Yoda theme is played backwards. Because of the way he talks. Well, it's <laughs> my backwards. It is. 
<laughs> if you want to do Yoda, just put the verb at the end. You're doing Latin. You are. Or I think the Germans do that too. <laughs> That's why you've got to hang German. on to German movies because they wait till the last word. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf would not work in Scandinavia, <laughs> Germany. It wouldn't work. Who Virginia Woolf afraid of is. <laughs> Perfect. So it just wouldn't work. It doesn't have that kind of. It would. But we still, this doesn't mean we wouldn't you like to see. You can't step on people's lines in German. No, I mean, this is very difficult <laughs> because you're like, hmm. what were you going to say? I don't know. <laughs> What's, what say you you going to were? Yes. Mm. So with this particular set, we well, should actually, step through. Well, actually, in Kublai Khan, did, in Kublai oh, Khan, we did this last week with Citizen Kane, which is uh, episode 10, I think. Where it does, we it comes across more publicly. The podcast fight strikes back. That was that last one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the obvious name for this one. <laughs> to Star Wars to and New acclaim. <laughs> anyway. As things are at the moment. Yeah. Now we we should step through this thing because there are quite a number of uh, goes I guess homage sort of elements that mm. are directly stolen from Western movies and fair enough too because we've all seen those scenes in gunslingers in, and people yeah, playing the, cards the, and the swing doors they burst open yes. and the piano stops playing and all and that suddenly mm. and then typically. We have the we don't serve your kind oh, here. Oh, that's a beauty, isn't Just it? Just taken directly yeah. out of Western. Comes, everyone comes in and they've got really uh, all these outrageous animals. Uh, well, well, I don't call them animals. But what am I doing? I'm being hashtag, <laughs> hashtag aliens, you know. Sorry, folks. I'm, I'm retracting that right now. Cut this, cut this later. And, but they're all, they're all there and they're smoking stuff and they're drinking this and they've got eye, eye, eyeballs that glow and all that sort of stuff. And then the robot comes in and he says... We don't serve your kind here. <laughs> I love that. And it's a, again, it's a beautiful thing. It, they try everything on. I shouldn't laugh so much, it's, it is, but it does amuse me. Incredibly. It's an amusing film. Uh, this, this particular it scene does. is that they've said, let's just go for it. Uh, we'll get everyone who can make a Muppet or they a puppet or something like that. I reckon that they didn't need to do this. They could have just done it. But it would have got too man. serious. And this is the beauty of the film. It's written beautifully. Yeah. Um, and, you, and, and the beauty of it is it's when you watch the scene again... They say, uh, and I don't have the money for Jabba. This comes later, but I'm just saying it now. So the, already there is a sequel built into this because Jabba the Hutt, Peter the Hutt, as he has been heard <laughs> being in some films, um, is already written in. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah. gee, this, you know, when you think about it, this had scope because back then when I watched it the first time when I was three, it was, um, <laughs> it, you know, you wouldn't have thought that it would have had that legs to it. No, it's, it is, it is a. Uh I suppose when you look at solving problems in narratives, you think to yourself, well, there's the gefunk, the, the gefint, the gefilter fish, whatever the, whatever that, We're in the Jewish that techniques, now. techniques called that Hitchcock relied on so much. Where the you, MacGuffin. The MacGuffin. You have the MacGuffin and you, like every story really has MacGuffin elements to it. Well, it does. We should actually say pursuit, what a MacGuffin is. A MacGuffin well, is we something should, Maybe that you is, should explain. I'll go on for two uh, in, in Shakespeare's to uh, – Shakespeare's, my Lord. Shakespeare didn't use MacGuffins. Um, did actually, he? no, he did use MacGuffins. Well, there's Rolls and Crans and Gildersstern. End up. Where do they know, end up? We don't know That's who, the MacGuffin. Who yeah, well, cause, well spotted you. You do <laughs> – you know, we do have literary backgrounds after all, do we? But um, uh, he would actually – have a you know the, the policeman in a would look at a picture on the wall and you think it has significance and then uh, Shakespeare um, Hitchcock would then cut to something else and would never come back in again and that is yeah. MacGuffin it's a, like a it's kind of a red herring but not even that 
or the red placing hearings. importance where it, that's never realised. It's never resolved. The importance of, of a thing or an object or it's whatever be- it might be is never resolved. It's beautiful, like the big sleep, where they had to ring Raymond Chandler and say, well, who was in the car that went off the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the ferry, uh, the, the, the pier? And he said... I don't know. I don't know. Because that's it was a, a pastiche of example. different movies. We yeah. should do that one. Anyway, but that's for another day. The more modern example would be the Pulp Fiction, I think, example, when the oh, two the thugs, briefcase. they have to go and get the briefcase. Mm. But we never know what's in it. Yeah, it we, just glows. That was quite literally a homage to Hitchcock. Like yeah. that, That's blatantly, I, I mm. would suggest. Yeah. Well, it brings in that little bit of mysticism into the film. And this is why I like, you know, this is why we're talking about Star Wars in these terms too, that... We've we've got you know it's all swashbuckling and it's you know save the girl and swinging from ropes and all that sort of stuff really, mm. um, and it's um, dodging bullets you know madly like <laughs> they, from the blasters, but it's also about uh, you know Japanese um, you know mysticism you know the uh, the force feel the force Luke mm. and you could again you couldn't do it without Alec Alec Guinness he was only in that one movie you know when you think of it he, he sort of permeates yeah. our culture. Uh, I think he appears as ghosts. What a other... great actor, though. I mean, oh, he was in gosh, Smiley's yeah. People, and uh, before that, he was in all the Ealing comedies. He man could do everything. But uh, in this, he was, and you think that he's at um, the um, at the fading end of his career, but uh, you really you just see this uh, commensurate professional. I think yeah, anyone, anyone watching A New Hope now would think that he was just waiting his whole career just for that moment, just for that film, essentially. Okay. It was so massive. And you know what I always so, say? It's, it's he, so he's not alive to spend his one and a half percent that he, that he got <laughs> Imagine what that would he be. He never sent it to me. <laughs> I want you it from what? a fair and square in a card game. Never sent it to me. I think, uh, I think it was Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, is he? Andrew Lloyd, <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber. I think he was asked by, I don't think it was George Lucas. Mm. Maybe it was. He said, why don't you turn Cats into a film? Mm. Like, it would just be huge, mm. you know. Do you know anything about barbecues? And- <laughs> <laughs> That's what he really made his money. And uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber said, well, how much did E.T. make? Who was that ET guy? Uh, that was, um, that a, as we know. Uh, you're going to ask me this right now, aren't you? No, I know. I'm not. Anyway, whoever. Yeah. He said, how much did your film make, whatever it was? I don't think it was ET. I'm just thinking that because it was on television the other night. Yeah. Uh, how much did your film make? We're talking about, you know, big Hollywood production. Um, this story is losing some oomph, as they say. And he said, oh, 600 million worldwide. 600 million or something worldwide the film made. And Angela Weber said, "Well, cats stay just the stage, just in London alone. It's made one point two billion dollars. So yeah. that's why I don't take. That's why I'm not putting cat cats on the screen. Mm. I'm not putting cats on the. I'm not, it's keep small, it on the stage. It's small fry, isn't it? One point yeah. two billion dollars. Yeah. And people as won't a go and say, oh, I see production. what you see. So you, you don't want to actually see people dress up. It looks hideous." Uh, I, I, I'm sorry if people it's have great. seen it's this. It's a stage show. Yeah, but you know what? It's the beauty about the stage show is it's the magic of stage. And if you're going to make it on a film, film actually cuts out all of the... Uh, see, it's doing exactly what Star Wars, um, you know, uh, does successfully, badly. So I, I think if you see cats, we don't want to see a, a real actor looking like a cat. We want to see real actors dressed up in implausible clothes. 
So that's the staginess of Star Wars. It's the beauty of it. And in this case, you've got all these, you know, in the star, getting back to the cantina oh, scene. Oh, of course, yeah. You've got all Which these sort of a, Muppets there. There's a weird you know, connection think, with cats, actually. Well, it, When you it think is, about but, stylistically. Yeah, but they, so they don't, you're sort of looking at them and you think, oh, well, this is what the intergalactic, um, you know, circus that is, um, you know, a saloon would look like in the year, whatever. Um, and uh, and it's fun. And this is the thing about the whole, you know, the first film is it was just sort of rip-roaring fun the same way that an Errol Flynn was. And and they make it up. You know, my, the best line out of this whole film is applies to everything I see in Hollywood. It says, what do we do now? He says to Han Solo, he says, I'm not a kid. Oh, no, it was another film. It was um, uh, the... Uh, he says, you know, what happens now? I don't know, kid. I just make this up as I go along. <laughs> it wasn't Han Solo, but it's in uh, it's in the other one, the, the Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark. Oh, yeah, And yeah. if you want a quote, you know, my quote for movies is that, I don't know, kid, that's what a good rip-roaring film should be, that you don't know what's happening next. You you fly out a window, you know, you, 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 you get... It is a funny scared. thing to sympathise with a character because of their right their confusion mm. <laughs> you know their their sense of not knowing what happens well, Mark next Hamels, just know, like as, our as, lives as, uh, just like Luke the... um, Luke uh, oh, God, comes into so this and, you know and and of course he gets fronted of course you have got to do this he says uh, and I love the way his accent says he doesn't like says one bloke with a big throat <laughs> he has a very you know obviously he's he's having mouthwash and the other fellow says uh, he doesn't like you and you notice he's got a, a kind of Scottish kind of Irish accent, you know, it the does, one yeah. who's always going to cause trouble, yeah. you know. And he says, oh, well, I'll try to be careful. He says, you'll be dead. <sighs> and uh, he says, I wouldn't waste this money on this small fry, you know, says Alec Guinness yeah, sitting in that yeah. coolest cucumber and then chops his arm off. And it's great. And we all hoot, we all clapped and uh, thought this is terrific because it was one of those things where he fronts up uh, with his magic lightsaber, which is a bit like your... You, you, you quarter staff, isn't it? That's what it really is. It's yeah, quarter staff it that is, can do it's damage. It's a bit Lord of the Rings, and that's the first, yeah. you know, appearance of the of, of the is. of the quarter staff. Mm. And Luke looks at it and goes, "Wow, I can get used to this." Mm. It's funny how because I don't imagine there's too many Jedi getting around. Like they're not they're they're not uh, not locally. very common. No, not any. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I don't I forget where the, the township that the 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 canteen is in, but they would have. Just witnessed a Jedi because the only the Jedi have the lightsabers, and I think most folklore I would suggest uh, would make that clear to to the everyday person sitting at the bar ordering yep. one of those fantastic milky. Well, you can't even get them know, on the dark children. net now. That's, uh, you know, they, <laughs> that's right. But they had them, and everyone had, had one. Them. You know, so clipped into but their. But even then, even with an actual Jedi with a lightsaber in the in the saloon, chopping people's arms off, which is, I would suggest, based upon the mythology of the of the whole, you know, spiritual side of the film, be incredibly rare occurrence, incredibly rare thing. But still, five seconds later, the music starts and everyone goes back to the normal business. And it goes, yes, all goes quiet then. Ring, ding, 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 ding. And then the music changes because it goes into what I would like to call loosely um, Vegas. Pap, you know, because they're all sitting in there, all swinging along, and I'm thinking they must have sat back and said, "Will we parody do this? Will we get a Stravinsky score here? No, we'll go back to Vegas. Go back to watch There's your, two no. pieces of music. There's, There's it, only it's two pieces. Of, two first very one's different. Speak easy one, yeah. And then after the arm comes off, they go into into because everyone's relaxed. But that actually goes into another. It's a beautiful thing because it actually ties together the different parts of the uh, of uh, 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 of what will become the greater film. Is that 
the the little guy who's bright green comes in and says, "And um, I'm glad I've caught you, Solo." Uh, you know, right, and yeah. uh, Hans is there and he's pinned, you know, because he, he doesn't have the money. <laughs> and then uh, and then he uses this time. There's only one problem with this, is that they sit down at the table there and he says, uh, you know, Jabba wants the money or whatever he does in the yeah. business. And, he's, and then suddenly he's got his leg way up on the table with the big boot at the end of it because he's done that prior to actually shooting the bloke uh, underneath the table, yeah, yeah. which is a really good ruse, but it's actually done a little clumsily. as, as a oh, film, so it's a bad cut. Filmy, uh, I thought, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I would have done that actually made the decision, but he probably would have done that because he would have put his hip out. Anyway... Um, we get the idea of Jabba, the pizza, whatever, Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, he's clearly established. He doesn't have to do anything. That's it. But he's, he's, but he's there looking in the background. Yeah, fearful. And then we blow the you know the uh, the business out of um, uh, this this fellow who's threatening him. And I like the sizzling sounds that Listen, he makes dude. after he goes and he flicks a coin at the bartender who says, sorry about the mess. Uh, I just love all that devil may care business. You know, they don't give oh. a rat's about uh, responsibility and all that. Sort it's of strange, thing. isn't it? When you when you do lean heavily on trope sort of stuff like that, mm. and I suppose the device is really, and to be fair, it's a homage. You establish context and you establish narrative so easily, so quickly. Yeah. You know, the well, fact that, that the police aren't just instantly a, there. There's not some sort of massive. Uh, Exodus. Your hand says, you know, you've already, you know, your handiwork's already, you know, uh, attracted, um, you know, the attention. You get these guys in the white suits. It takes a little while, but they, and they turn up. But they're there, you know, mm. they're, they're the police to find out uh, whose arm is what. It's interesting in that instance because I like the way that cuts that the uh, Luke Skywalker and the um, Obi-Wan character just suddenly mm. aren't there. Mm. Yeah, they're missing. It's a beautiful. Yeah, I mean that we is don't another see trope them as well. Exit. We don't see them exit or anything. No, but they just add to their mysticism. It adds to it. Well, it does, but it's it's, it's actually beautiful that they've scrammed. You know what I mean? It, it is. Yeah, yeah, because that was the thing. Like you've you've uh, got attention, so they've actually scrammed about the other way, and and it's just nice. It's a beautiful cut, and it's a, it's a film that's made by a, a lover of Hollywood and who understands all of the. You know the, the techniques and tropes, or whatever, or uh, you know mm. the conventions, mm. uh, whatever. They're all there, and they're all meshed up in this. It's a, like a, it's a big gumbo, if you like, this film of sci-fi you know, and and uh, you know detective and the questing. In terms and, of stereotyping and and tr- and tropes, maybe we could sort of say, let's talk saloon, paying homage to the saloon scenes out of westerns. There's this sense that everyone sort of has their place, even though in the cacophony of weird creatures that are attending this bar, there's still these groups. Like, for instance, there's the racial typing that takes place with the droids. We mm. don't serve your kind here, mm. which is, you know. We don't do AI. Behind those. <laughs> I don't do AI either. I don't drink with them, and I don't think they want to drink with me. But it's funny because they're probably the only creatures out there, essentially, if you want to call them that, who can't afford to buy their own drink. They don't have the capacity, I would suggest. I mean, who they serve? They might have shares in the Star Wars franchise. We don't know this. <laughs> they can true. now, that's for sure. But all the uh, members of the band are the same species. Well, that's the only two that, you know, the only five that actually get on. I suppose they're the like uh, I don't know they're probably like the Eiley brothers of of the of the past future slash you know universe. I can I, don't, I can only assume that the whole planet's full of boffins who are just really good at at that sort of 
high level math kind of stuff that's that's associated with jazz and it's associated with lots of other things as well. Mm. I mean, I would expect that they're capable of as a species of doing something else. But imagine those guys kicking around in their in their roadie van, you know, oh, spaceship going from planet to planet. That's right. Yeah, we're here yeah, for a week, limping along. <laughs> Thanks. We're here till Thursday. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> try, try, try the predator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's their day-to-day like? And the blue stuff. What's that? What, they send invoice to the guy behind the bar. Well, who does their books? <laughs> That's right. And why are we? How come you've lured me into this trap here? <laughs> it does say. But it's so. a great band. You remember the band? You know, and it's uh, <laughs> and it just takes the piss. But at the same time, that's what I have to reiterate here: that the the show goes on, and it's really it's kind of pivotal because they they get to meet, the, they bring in new characters, and it, and they get away with it. Time and time again. How it else? got very serious in the later, um, you know, um, versions of Star Wars. That, it did, yeah. You know, they were all sitting around and, and uh, you know, in, in very heavy-duty parliaments and all that sort of stuff. But this was the way that it should be, you know. Like, uh, it's like Harry Potter. End, all the audiences grew The audience grew up. Yes. So they had to sort of go with the audience yes. kind of, Like yeah. in, the, in the thing at the end of this film, it's like uh, Alex, uh, Alex uh, Guinness is, use the force, Luke, which could be actually interpreted as, in the hall, Luke, because you know, it's a big, you know, the game is a big kind of video game when it comes down to it. It'll be all net, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> I have you now. It's, uh, I mean, all these great uh, lines came out of it. And it's sort of been built into at least, not not the modern generation's um, life, but if you're anything like uh, 55, 65, something like that, you may have seen it, you would have seen it and been, you know, changed directly by this film because it was Absolutely. it was groundbreaking because it, uh, it used new jazz, you know, in order to computer uh, control uh, cameras so that it looked like, um, you know, that you were following each other into a, you know, a mini yeah. planet and all that sort of stuff. For, for its uh, time, breathtaking in scope, George Lucas, I salute thee. Indeed, it's very interesting. You see the the early version without the digital remastering, mastering, and really with, oh, a, yeah. with a close eye, and you try and catch mm. all their, you know, I suppose the the rudimentary way in which they did some things. Magic of the theatre. Yeah. I mean, you what it's we very do is hard we have spot. a willing suspension of belief, and of course, you do that when you go into um, a theatre. When you go into the movies, people are more discerning. Um, but as I said, when we did Citizen Kane, not last week, folks. Uh, a lot of the pieces and there are paintings and there are really, um, you, you would say, clumsy uh, conventions and miniatures, but uh, who cares? If the story's good enough, you'll swallow it. It's, it's one of those things where you, you, you've, we need the context. We need context. Always. But we aren't really focusing on context. I know the audience are thinking, right, what in style? We're talking give about me context. Now. I want give me, context. Give me <laughs> <laughs> Give me convenience. We, we want to see the faces, and we want to hear the mm. conversations, and we want to mm. we want all that sort of well, stuff. Well, actually, so. the, the very good thing is that James Earl Jones's voice, um, who was used by Kubrick as uh, in uh, in that uh, in Doctor Strange Love, is um, Darth Vader, and you don't see him. All you hear is that "I have you now," mm. and uh, that that wonderful you know voice there that is a sort of the voice of evil. And yet um, you're somewhat strangely sympathetic to him because you know that he knows that something in the Force and that Alec is coming to, to get him. Mm. Uh, all these sorts of things are there. So, you don't, so there are mysteries. And it goes back to – there's all kinds of things. You could take this back to Greek 
tragedy, if you like. You know, you've got people in masks, you know, moving around. Yeah. You've got that sort of uh, the idea that you will never see or appreciate certain faces. You've got, uh, you know, you know, good and evil, and you've got fate and destiny, and you've got the idea of uh, the whole mystic universe being held together by the force and all that sort of stuff. Great scope for a franchise. It is, and they disguise their Deus Ex Machina stuff very well, nicely because yeah. we never really get to see the force. We never well, actually get to see well, what it Alec, really can well, do Alex and what it actually a, is. ends up being the Deus Ex Machina because he's the one who actually gets them out and gets them the, sh- the ship. He's the one. I mean, he's you know physically that. And then at the end, he's just a voice because he uh, sacrifices himself and gets chopped in half and that. Mm. And then suddenly it's... Use the force, Luke. So he does become a kind of um, an endless uh, voice in this sort of mystical uh, notion, which is, you know, it's another trope used beautifully. It is. Um, and it's, it's, hard. Great, it's a great gumbo. It's a gumbo of a movie, and it's, and it's mm. terrific. And yet it's gleaming, you know, because whoever did the, uh, the masks and things like that, white and dark and white and whatever, um, it was great. It's, uh, and you also had the idea of the partisans who had this, you know, ragtag of um, things that they wore versus, you know, the Nazi-like uh, precision of, you know, of the baddies, all those mm. sorts of things. We all identify with that. And it's funny when they – well, sure, that's not funny, but it's revealing when they shot the film, they needed all the people. There was no, there was no CGI. You couldn't copy in or paste in uh, – or Matt in, well, I'm and, sure, I'm you know, sure the same twenty yeah, yeah, yeah. or so people repeated in a in a sequence. No, so, so a lot of there were techniques, but usually there were people running around on sound stages. I, I grant you that mm. there would be certain certain things that they they could get. If you away do, with. if you have a look at any behind the scenes stuff, and there's there is some behind the scenes stuff on YouTube, you can see that those hangar scenes with all the star Trek, with all the stormtroopers standing in rows, they actually shot all that. Like that's an actual sound stage. Mm. Like I know that sounds ridiculous. It's pinewood or something. It'd be some yeah, large place like that. It's a huge space mm. with these people actually standing. If you go there. to pinewood, you it's don't incredible. you don't credit how big these places can actually get. No. Uh, and I, I imagine they were over there in uh, in Hollywood. You know, they were mm. big places. Because I find often of with these science fiction sort of movies that the sets are quite small, and then it's only every now and then they'll throw in they'll throw in the the, the big scenes, you know, the, the, mm. the planetscapes and all mm. that sort of stuff mm. because essentially they've just got – and the cheaper these sort of sci-fi movies are, yeah. <laughs> the smaller the sets appear. And it's it's a great concept. All you need to do is a green screen outside a window mm. and you can have some stars whizzing by and then the set itself, like the Star Trek set, well, it's like the Japanese, is not very the big. Japanese ones. You know, the Japanese yeah. sci-fi movies of the, of the 1950s are great. They're like, whoa, we must be doing 80 miles an hour. <laughs> and the voices would be going completely lip-sunk, doing something completely different. And, but and, 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 and so I love what I look at. Uh, Kubrick would have killed to be able to do this because he spent a lot of his money in 2001, A Space Odyssey, on the electronics of the, um, of the consoles. Yeah. cost him a fortune. And yeah. yet, you know, by this stage, um, they, they could do it. But I quite like, you know, uh, Doctor Who actually used wooden ones, and I, I quite like that. That was uh, the original Doctor Who ones of the 1960s. Yeah. They're on a budget, of course. Yeah. But you have um, uh, in this one... Uh, you have something slightly, but there's a little bit tacky in them. It's a bit like a, a mixer. I think they probably got the 24-track mixer out of uh, the Pinewood Studios mixing oh, yeah. desk. And they said, we'll use that. That's good. Well, for, And we can fix the bass at the same time. For Alien, the first Alien, <laughs> fix the bass at the same time. <laughs> for the first Alien film, they put together the main console, 
the main control room, I suppose, what do you want to call the flight deck for the spaceship out of, and as I understand it, uh, second-hand aircraft parts, yeah. uh, mm. military and otherwise domestic aircraft parts, mm. and they, they go to these graveyards where they have airplanes and they pull out mm. a bank of buttons and switches and lights yeah. and stuff and, put and it they just stick it in. And mm. gaffer tape. Is there anything gaffer tape can't put do? Put a 12-volt battery on it. Holds it the fo- it's the force. It has a dark side and a white side <laughs> and binds the universe together. <laughs> gaffer tape. But did you know in uh, – and, and we've done this film too, folks um, – Dr. Strangelove, that when there was no entry into these uh, uh, these jets, uh, not the jets, but the uh, the B-52s or whatever they're using to bomb, and the American government was so convinced that Stanley Kubrick had actually seen the plans for these, because he made it up because you couldn't see the uh, when Slim Pickens is there, you know, pressing yeah, the buttons yeah, and, yeah. and uh, doing all the things, that uh, he did such a convincing job that uh, the Americans said, someone's got our plans. Now, that's, again, I really? go back to Kubrick and wow. the genius of that. Yeah. Um, but it is all about consoles. I mean, all that sort of stuff is, you know, they call it loosely production values now. Like that's how much right. are you going to, you know, go in and do your homework. And, and how and how hard can it be? We've all seen a cockpit, so to speak. Sort of. Yeah, we all have the idea of a cockpit. That's right. Yeah. And a human arm is only so long, so you've got to put the button with the lights somewhere, yeah. you know, within an yeah. arm's reach. Unless you're doing flying so high where they have that large panning shot that goes right and it goes <laughs> for about... Uh, you know, 45 seconds, <laughs> so it's possibly big. <laughs> so, but that's a part of it, isn't it? That's the cockpit notion that, you know, that, yes. that we're in control here and, you know, we're pressing buttons and, and uh, you know, in control of things. Mm. But anyway, it's the, the, the reason I liked uh, Star Wars is that um, it was at a time it was complete, uh, it was when films were getting very serious and or the sharks were after you and they're going to bite you. And uh, in Jawsy sort of way, and this film was just p- so perfectly free, and that it allowed you to just go off and uh, on a wander, the same Absolutely. way that uh, people would have seen, a, like an Errol Flynn movie, like mm. Don Juan or whatever, and uh, in like a night errant with Don Juan or whatever. Mm. You know his favourite lines as well. There are only so many Don Juans in the world, and as I'm Don Juan, it must be me or, or you know, something <laughs> like that. And they ride into the distance. I'm Don Juan. Someone has to be exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this film had that. It had all the Hollywood, um, you know, elements of uh, escapism, which is really what Hollywood has always been about, uh, without, uh, you know, being too heavy. Um, it, it, the parents, it was one of those, uh, you know, one of those early things that wasn't Disney, where parents could take their kids and actually have a rip roaring good time. That's right. And it was a real holiday. You know, yeah. it's a real, real it's a it's a holiday movie, and it gave you a holiday experience. Mm. So we're not obviously thinking that you're going to, based on this podcast, go and watch the film again. Oh, can I? Can I'm I just sure that you say, have. I've got it all linked up. I'm going to watch it again because oh, when that first, um, you know, when the uh, the first Star Wars comes in with that note from John Williams, yeah, uh, I can't oh. help it. It is something that is just riveting and um, compelling, and you can watch it again because mm. the music dictates it for you. And in that again, that Wagnerian way, mm. um, the music is actually telling the story, and the visuals um, are, are there, locked in. And that's why you should see the movie again because the it is it's uh, it's all thematic. And again, uh, as I've always said to um, anyone who listen, who are few, that um, <laughs> that uh, the music makes maketh the, the film. And it's yes. one of those uh, films that you know usually it's meant to be invisible, but in this case, it is. So much, uh, it is like an opera, and that's how I watch, that's yeah. how I watch the uh, the film. I watch in that yeah. operatic way, 
um, because of the different themes that, that come through it and weave their way through. It's an, uh, it's an act of genius from John Williams. deserves mm. its high place, not the place, but the high place in the film uh, echelons of soundtracks. Indeed. Oh, does it ever. So... Go and watch the film again. Watch the film again, but maybe with a closer eye or a more sensitive eye to the cantina scene and think about westerns and think about, you know. And if you've been travelling, you've always been in a cantina like that. That's one of those things you think, oh, I'm, I shouldn't be here. It's like one of those, it could happen in a roadhouse in Australia. I think that's what we're trying yes. to say. It definitely has. Yeah, we don't serve your kind here. I don't want to say too much more about that except to say that, uh, Wow. What a what a what a uh, fantastic way to introduce uh, so many different narrative elements all in one scene. This scene does this scene does it all. All right. I hope you enjoyed that one. We'll do it again very soon. All right, bye folks.